you know, Christmas has a tendency to be messy. And scheduling Christmas each year gets harder and harder. Uh, and in our society, that's made even more difficult by two simple facts. Relationships don't last, and families live farther <laughs> apart now than they used to. If you're around me for any length of time, you discover that I have a very hard time sometimes dealing with lack of time management. Um, my saying has always been, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're wasting my time. God has given me grace because I deal with a lot of times where that doesn't happen. Um, I like things to be planned and on schedule. Unfortunately, I'm married into a family where at least one person doesn't subscribe to those thoughts. Um, and it is, it's, it, we've had some rough moments. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the time we came in view of a call, um, I knew where Dexter lived. And we were supposed to meet with Dexter and Barry, and I pulled up, and I sat out here in the parking lot for 40 minutes. Wait for him to walk over and let me in. And I sort of thinking, these lazy bumps are 40 minutes late. I don't want to be here. Well, they're inside thinking, that lazy bump is 40 minutes late. I have no idea the offices were that. Finally, I sent Dexter a message. He goes, where are the offices? I'm like, I've been sitting down here for an hour. You're not like, oh, he's going in the back. Oh, okay. It's just the way those things seem to work. And I remember one uh, awkward Christmas for, for Carrie and I, probably our most awkward uh, before the kids were born. Um, it was, it was different. We planned events at our house, and we are specific about when the meal time will be. Uh, we tell you that the meal is going to be at noon. It's going to be at noon, not three hours later. Um, we do that, and we don't do the three hours later because that's the way it's always been done. We tell you this time to show, but this time, no. Now, I remember that awkward Christmas. Uh, we had to plan for the different Christmases. We'd see my mom at some point down the road because my mom was always like, I can see you when I want to see you. I'll come to you or you'll come and I need to see you. You go and you be with her family. So we always did that every Christmas. Uh, but we had to make arrangements for both of Carrie's parents' Christmases on Christmas Day because they were both having it on Christmas Day. And we had Christmas Eve candlelight service at the church. And we lived three to five hours away. So that year, though, everything was kind of perfect and it fell in place. Carrie's mom's group was going to eat about 1.30 p.m. Um, her dad's group was going to eat at 7 p.m. So we had a plan that worked. It was great. We would get to her dad's house about 10 in the morning and we would visit till about noon. And because the two places were an hour apart, we would leave from the hour and we would drive to mom's event. And then we would leave there for about six to come back for dinner with dad. And it was perfect. It worked. Both sides would get about five hours. It was fair. There could be no argument. It was great. Then the phone rang on Christmas Day at noon. And it was the other side of the family saying, we're running behind. We'll call you when we know when lunch is going to be. Okay. 1.30 came and there was nothing. Carrie called at 2 and they said, well, it'll be soon. We said, well, let's know in plenty of time. It's an hour drive. We have an hour drive to get to you. So you can't wait until it's going to be done. Tell we'll tell you in plenty of time. Okay. Carrie called again at 3. 
She called again at 3.30. She called again at 4. About 5.45, we get a phone call saying that lunch will be ready at 6.30. <laughs> Suddenly, our pretty Christmas was messed up. Dad's entire side was upset because we were getting ready to leave and they had planned for us to be there. I was frustrated because of the major lack of time management and miscommunication. Don't know where that ball got dropped, but it was bad. And with everybody mad, we got in the car and headed down the road. I got three blocks down the road and I stopped the car and I said, no, no, we aren't going to punish this side for lack of time management on the other side. So Carrie called her mom and told her we wouldn't make it. And now, so now her mom is mad. <laughs> and she isn't going to get to see us at all on Christmas Day. Everything is awkward. Everything is messy. But that Christmas, we were able, or more likely me, I was able to spend time building a relationship with Gammy and Gammy, our dad's grandparents. Um, they had always been uneasy with me because Carrie met me first semester of college. We came back, we get married, all this stuff. And so they, they didn't have that relationship. And that, that Christmas gave us a chance to build a relationship. Uh, it gave us the blessing of building that relationship that would last all the way until uh, their passing. And so from that mess on that Christmas, God brought a major blessing into our lives. Our Jesus family member this week, as we continue in our series, Awkward Family Christmas, uh, probably can understand the blessings that come from the messiness. This week, our sermon's a little bit different. Uh, God usually gives me one specific shorter text for the message. Uh, this week, he didn't. Uh, this morning, we are in the book of Ruth. Now, I'm not going to read it all to you. Don't, don't We're not going to read the entire book. We're going to read a few select texts. And in the book of Ruth, this historical book, this, this pageantry happens. You have this woman named Naomi who is married to a man named Elimelech. And they go to Moab um, because there's a famine in the land. They're from Bethlehem. And they go to, to find places that he can work, that he can support his wife. They have two sons. Um, and while they are in Moab, Elimelech dies. Naomi's left alone with her two sons. Her sons marry women from Moab. Then they die. The sons die. And now she is left alone with her two daughters-in-law. And as they're leaving to go back to Bethlehem, Naomi stops and she says, Guys, go back. Go back to your family. Go back to your mom's house. Go back to your dad's house. I don't have anything for you. I don't have any more sons and even if I got married right now and was pregnant right now and I had a baby in nine months, are you going to wait for that baby to grow up? You know, there, there's nothing for you. Go ahead and go back. And you need to do what you need to do. My life is too bitter for me, for the Lord is against me. And so that's where we find Ruth uh, and her mother Naomi there in the first chapter of the book of Ruth. And she replies, her other sister-in-law, she goes back. She cries, she kisses her mother-in-law, she goes back to her people. But Ruth makes this statement, starting in verse 14 of the book, Ruth chapter 1. She said, Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you 
or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may Yahweh punish me to do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel of the words that I speak be yours. Father, we thank you and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. I read that and so often we read that we read that text at, at weddings. Um, but it's it's a great text. <clears throat> Something that it tells us is that broken dreams does not equal lost hope when you have God. These ladies, I'm sure, had dreamed their life very differently. Married, children, uh, prosperity, being somewhere where they, they need to be, uh, and, and living a good long life. Nobody, nobody expects the things that Naomi uh, got here, that Ruth got here. And so when she gets to Moab, things are completely different. Things are uh, falling apart. Her life is over as far as she is concerned. She is left with nothing. And so we find her here in this place, Naomi being hopeless. When they get to town, and if you read further in that chapter, the people say, this is Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasant one. This is the pleasant one. And she says to them, don't call me pleasant one. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because my life is different. I'm a bitter old woman. Ruth lost everything too. She never had children, but in this brokenness, she sees that she's gained something. Even in the mess, she realizes that she doesn't want what she used to have. She has a choice. Nobody's given her a choice. You can go back to what you used to know, or you can stay with me. And then she says this most remarkable statement of love and devotion in all of Scripture. This makes two weeks in a row that we have remarkable statements of love and of God from pagan women in the light of Jesus. And she sees here that what she has through God here is better than what she had before. Just because her dreams have been broken doesn't mean she should, she should lose what she has already gained. I'm looking at it, part of me is going, man, what have you gained? You've gained a miserable, empty, broken woman right now. But she sees something more there. She sees that she's also gained her God. She has gained something else. Something that, that, that Naomi seems to have forgotten. And the same is true for us. Our broken and failed dreams do not mean our hope is lost when we have God. I look at mine and Carrie's life together and I see tragedies. I see dreams and lives cut short. I, you know, I look at my parents. I look at all the things we've been to and we've been mistreated. One example I can think of, 11 years ago, we began having an issue with a, a power player in a church we were in. And it was the longest year of our lives. Absolute longest year of our lives. We had just lost uh, uh, our second baby. We had 10 years ago, we had, 10, we had two miscarriages. We had no children. We couldn't finish the CPS training. And then my mom died. 
Then we finally went on our first vacation in two years trying to get some clarity from what God wanted from us only to come home and be told that we were being forced out by the power player. We sold everything we owned. And what we kept went into a Nissan Altima <laughs> that we had. And when we left there two weeks later with no job, no home, and no plan, we were sitting at the end of the road of broken dreams and we had a choice to make. We could give up, we could be bitter, or we could hope. For the next month, we traveled the Southwest. Uh, that's what we did. I, I had a deacon at the church on the road say, you can't just leave without anywhere to go. And I said, that's what we're doing. Uh, that's, you know, that's what Abraham did. God told me there's something at the end of this. You just keep following it, you'll find it. So we went and we traveled. If you look back on my Facebook in October of 2012, you'll see posts about our dinner views of where the different places we were eating dinner or lunch that day on the side of the road. You know, mountain views or camping one night in, in, in a valley outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, you'll see posts about ocean waves and, and Terry playing in the ocean or, or the view of the ocean from the hotel that we were staying in. Or you'll see just all sorts of blessings from God. Our lives were a mess. Our dreams were broken. And one year later, God provided a new place to serve that didn't have those types of issues. And then we had Shiloh. And life was completely different. Broken dreams does not equal lost hope. Just because things have fallen apart and don't look like you want them to look doesn't mean that the hope that you have for the things that you wish for is gone. Because God can turn that around. We talked a while ago, Santa can't make the littlest jingle bell into the big jingle bell. But Jesus can take the mess and make a message. He can take where you are and take those broken dreams and take all those things and put them back together in a way like you never imagined and bless you more than you've ever thought. Sometimes it might not look like what you want it to look like. Or it may not come when you want it to come. But that's okay because God's timing is always perfect. Always. One of my favorite verses in this passage, we'll put it up on the screen, says, So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They're going, What? Why is that your favorite verse? Because, do you not see it? Do you catch what this says? They were there at a certain time. Most of the time we read over this, we go, okay, it's just a detail. Huh. They had to come back at that time. They had to be there in that moment. It had to be them. For the rest of the events in this story to play out like they did, it had to be them. We spend so much time in our lives asking God how long. How long, God? How long do I have to go through this? How long do I have to put up with this? When is this going to be over? When is this going to happen? Even in the book of Revelation, the martyrs are still asking God, how long? But God's timing is always perfect. When we try to rush God, we mess things up for ourselves. God knows what He's doing. And if we'll wait on Him, we'll see His blessings. We'll see what's out there. God's timing is so much different than ours. I always joked that it took me eight years to get a four-year degree. And it did. It took me eight years to get a four-year degree. But in the midst of that, there was tragedy, there was triumph, there was procrastination, there was preference. I took eight years. I graduated high school in 1995. I didn't graduate.
graduate college until 2003. Here's the deal. I didn't meet Carrie until 2002. If I wouldn't have taken eight years to get a four-year degree, that meeting would not have occurred. God's timing is perfect. Ruth wanting to take care of her mother-in-law says, okay, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how to deal with this. All I know is I'm not leaving. All I know is I'm not going back. I can't go back. i got to keep going forward. Because if I go back, things are going to be bad. But if I go forward, I know something's going to come out of this. So don't ask me to leave again. Don't try to send me away. Because I am going to go with you, whether you like it or not. I'm going with you. And I'm going to live with you, and your God's going to be my God. And when you die, I'll be done where you're at. Because that's where I'm going to be. That's what I've decided. And she's made that decision. And she wants to take care of her. She goes while she's there back in Bethlehem. And she asks her mother-in-law, can I go and gather some grain? And she gets permission. And she begins gathering. And she happens to be in the field of a relative. And that relative asks her who she is. And he, he, he asks who she is. He's told. And he walks up to her and he says to her, in chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Have I not ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, You've been so kind to me, for, for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I'm not one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young man, leave her, even gather, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out but she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Man. You see this story and you see Boaz and you see his actions and we realize here because Boaz stands in for God that God provides protection and sustenance for those who live faithfully. Out of the blue, Boaz shows up and he says to her, just stay with my people. We've got a long harvest ahead of us. There's lots going to happen. Just stay with my people. And he says, tell the men not to touch her. He allows her to eat and drink with the harvesters. Tells her the harvesters will leave extra for her. God's providing, you know, protection. The danger of men. That's one of the reasons why she had to ask her mother-in-law, can I go gather grain? Because there was always that off chance that somebody could attack. She was not from Israel. She was a foreigner. 
She was a foreigner in Israel and they didn't have the greatest record. And so she knew that there was danger there. But Boaz came up and he said, I told him to leave you alone. Oh, by the way, come over here and eat with us. Oh, and here's some security. Notice something extra here. There's an extra point for you. Boaz says that her actions are bringing her reward. She was living faithfully. He said, everything that you did for your mother-in-law has been reported to me. And because of that, I hope that you are blessed. That life brought about her reward. That's the promise that God will provide for those who are faithful. You cannot be outside of God's will and expect to be provided for them. You, you, you can't be living your life apart from God and go, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. Why do you, dummy? You're not doing what God wants you to do. And if you're standing over there playing in the world, you can't cry out and say, God, why aren't you taking care of this? He wants you to be where He is. You know, maybe I'm a callous parent. I don't know. Because my kids, sometimes they get hurt. And it took a while for Carrie to understand my, my thought, I guess. Because they'll do something that I've told them not to do five times in a row. And they got hurt. And I'll say, well, come here. I bet you won't do that again, will you? Because they had to learn. They had to see that I couldn't protect them when they were over there, when they didn't listen. God, God's not going to protect us if we're off over doing the things He doesn't want us to do. He may, he may have a little bit of protection over us, but He's going to let us go through the things we've chosen to do. That's what he tells us over in Romans chapter 1. If you want your sin, live in your sin. Have it and have its consequences. Do what you want to do. But then we move to the heart of the story here. God's providing for us. He's seen all this stuff. And we've seen God working through this brokenness. And we have Ruth. Ruth who has hope when others thought that hope may be lost. And there's so much more to the story, but I don't want to be here all day. So let me give you the message from this mess and we're just going to walk through it. God provides redemption for those who have no hope of redemption on their own. Naomi works out a plan for Ruth to ask Boaz to redeem her. Because he's a kinsman redeemer. Which means that he has the right, legally, in the laws of Israel, to redeem the property of Naomi's kinfolk, her husband and her sons, because he is a close relative. And so, but also, when he does that, he has to take Ruth as his wife and bear a child for the man whose land it is. So the plan here, <laughs> it's kind of a risky plan to me, and I'm going to do American eyes. She says, get dressed up. Put on your lipstick. Comb your hair. Put on your best clothes. And go down to the threshing floor. And when he's asleep, lay down at his feet and cover yourself with his blanket. What? I'm American, I don't get it. But, you know, that, that's, that's, what, that's, that's the plan. That's what she has to do. And because of this, she asks the question, will you redeem me? And Boaz says, well, I will, but there's somebody else, somebody who's closer to me. Let me work on it. And so he goes down to the other guy, and he offers him the land, and he wants it. Oh, yeah, I want a little bit of land. That's some good stuff. That's some prime real estate. I want that. And then he says, well, when you take it, you also have to take Ruth as a wife. And he said, no, not, no. I can't do that. My wife will kill me. Basically what he says, that would mess up my life. I'd mess up my own inheritance. No, I, I, I can't do that. So Boaz says he will redeem her. And there in verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property, so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his home. 
You are my witnesses today. The elders and all the people who were at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May he be powerful in Ephrathah and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar, born in Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when she was in, and when he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of David. Naomi could not provide what her daughter-in-law needed. The story begins with her saying, Go back. Go back to your mama. Go back to your daddy. I can't give you what you need. I can't give you what you need for your life. Ruth couldn't provide what her mother-in-law needed because her mother-in-law needed a grandchild. Now there's a mom, a lot of grandmoms in here going, yeah, uh -huh. that's it. I need a grandbaby. Give me a grandbaby. That's, that's, that's what she needed. She needed that. And unless something happened, Naomi's family would disappear. On their own, there was no hope of redemption. But with Boaz, everything could change. That is the story of God and the lives of humanity. We cannot redeem ourselves. We can't wash our own sins. We can't do it. But God in His providence and love knew that we would not be able to do it. And He sent for us a kinsman redeemer. One like us who had the ability and the right to redeem us. Jesus. Two things we have to learn from our redemption in this story. And the first one is we have to go to Jesus for redemption. Ruth didn't sit around. She didn't sit there going, boy, I hope always looks at me. It's not what she did. She didn't sit there and just look pretty and walk around and, and whisper to the girls and say, can you pass this? No. She took action and she went to Boaz and she said, will you redeem me? Will you redeem this mess? She didn't simply pray that Boaz would come near. She sought Boaz out, out and asked him to redeem her. We have to do the same. We have to ask Jesus to redeem us. Have to. There's no other way. We can sit in church our entire lives and if we don't ask Jesus, we're not getting anywhere. Second thing is, a price has to be paid. Boaz had to buy all that belonged to Naomi and take on the responsibility of he had a ticket. And Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross. With no cross, there is no salvation. With no sacrifice, there's no reward. In Ruth, we find the story of redemption. We find the message that comes from the mess. We find that God works in ways that we've never imagined, that we would never believe or see. We see all of these things that happen because it's a picture of God. It's a picture of, of who God is in our lives and what God's going to do with us. Because in our mess, there is a message. There is a message of a Redeemer. There is one who comes to call us to be His, to pay the price, to take what we could not make into something and turn it into something. That is the story of Ruth. 
That is what we read about there when we read that historical book. That God, in His love and providence, said, I am going to redeem a people who cannot redeem themselves. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been living in the mess. Maybe you're surrounded by broken dreams. Maybe things haven't turned out like you wanted them to turn out, and you don't know how to do anything different. God can take your broken dreams and He can turn them into something you've never imagined. Maybe this morning, maybe you have been struggling with other things and you don't know the way out. The altar is open. You want to pray? I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start into missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known the kinsman redeemer. Maybe you've never known the one who came to die for you, who came to provide for you in a way that you could never provide for yourself. Now's the time. You just walk the aisle and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus. It's that simple. We'll go from there. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings.